Good to see all of you. Uh, it was good to be with you this morning as we come together again to worship King Jesus. It was awesome Sunday last Sunday, wasn't it? What a great Sunday that was, uh, being together and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, combined service and a bunch of kids, and, and uh, it's, uh, you know, my, my daughter said after we were done hanging out together, after a picnic and everything, and she said, man, I love our church. I love our church so much. Let me tell you something. That's encouraging for a pastor to hear their children say they love their churches because I know plenty, plenty of pastor's kids who don't love their church, you know? There, there's no shortage of that at, at, at all. So, you know, on a personal note, I thank you for being so encouraging to my daughter. I appreciate that very much. And if you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and we're going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you remember, if you've been here, Jesus has been talking about what it means to follow him, what it means to have Jesus to be your king. And he's been addressing some tough issues that we've looked at so far. We've been looking at, at Jesus' teaching on, on obedience and anger and lust and marriage and divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving our enemies and generosity and money and anxiety. And today we add to the list the issue of judging others. Now, like other parts in the Sermon on the Mount, this section is intense. Now, here's the thing. If you've just been kind of coasting through this series and, and nothing's really kind of bothered you or if it, it, have, if it hasn't seemed uh, very intense to you, I want to lovingly tell you that there could be a, there's a good chance, this is a, there's a red flag possibly here saying that, that you have a self-righteousness that is making you blind to your own sin. You know how I know that? Because it happens to me too, all right? We're all in this together. Earlier in the mount, Jesus said things like, if, if your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out or cut it off. And he's using this extreme exaggeration to get our attention. And then he goes on to say, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What are we supposed to do with that when we know that we can't be perfect? We woke up and messed up right away within the first five seconds. Can't be perfect. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. These are some intense teachings from Jesus. In today's passage, Jesus is at it again. And here he, he speaks using pictures. He gives us pictures um, that, that help us try to understand what he's saying. And he talks about planks, pigs, and pearls. Jesus, again, wants to grab our attention and address the issue of judging others. But unfortunately, we're really good at that. We, are, we don't even need lessons on how to judge others. We just do it naturally, all by ourselves, no lessons needed. And so Jesus knows that about us, and so he wants to uh, address that. 
We judge people constantly. We don't even think about it. We're not even aware of it. We judge people for what they wear, uh, how they look, what they drive, the, the music they like, how they raise their kids, what job they have, their different theological views, their different political parties, what church they go to, their ethnicity, their age, and on and on and on and on. So what's Jesus have to say about all of our judging? Well, for many people, when they come to know Jesus, there, there are a lot, thank God, a lot of scandalous sins that, that, that can begin to fade away. But all too often, it gets replaced with a self-righteousness and with a pride. It creeps into your heart and loiters there. It becomes easy to have an attitude that says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm right and I'm holy and you definitely aren't right and you definitely aren't holy. You should be as holy as I am. And then we can blast people with the truth and judge them harshly. Man, we forget so easily about how gracious God has been to us. On the other hand, there are those who, you know, they don't want to rock the boat and in an effort to not judge other people, they don't say anything at all and allow all sorts of harm to happen to people and we stand by while people are destructive to themselves and to other people. And you know, that's not right either. So if you're here today and and you're just beginning to explore Christianity and, and what the Christian faith is all about, I want you to know that I'm so glad that you're here. It is my desire to be helpful to you. And, and you know what? I know that there's a good chance that in the past you've been judged harshly by other Christians and, and maybe you've been burned. And so this morning, my invitation to you is to listen to what Jesus says to us, his followers, and listen to Jesus as he corrects us and tells us what kind of hearts and lives we should have. My hope is that as messed up as, as, as we are as a church, and we're all messed up, amen? As messed up as we are as a church, my, my, my desire is not so much that you're primarily you know, drawn to the church and how awesome it is or whatever, but that you're primarily drawn to Jesus Christ. It is possible to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus and be committed to Jesus, who he is and what he's done, despite sinful Christians like me. This morning, if you want to follow along in your outline, we're going to, you see that we're going to take on three questions. What does it mean to not judge others? When are we tempted to judge others? And how can we avoid judging others? And we're going to look at the first one, and the first one is, what does it mean to not judge others? Jesus says in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus right here is giving us a very clear warning, and it's also a very loving warning. He's telling us that with judging, there's like a boomerang effect. If you judge, it comes right back at you. And this is true in a relationship with God and in our relationship with other people. 
when it comes to our relationship with God, commentator Daniel uh, Doriani writes this. He says, if we know God's standards enough to judge others by them, then we know them well enough to be judged by them. When we measure others by a standard, it shows that we accept that standard so that God can judge us by it. So Jesus confronts us in our passage. And, and we need to kind of draw out a question, some implications here. Look at our own heart. If you condemn others for speaking a half-truth, do you speak half-truth? Do you exaggerate? Do you kind of airbrush the truth to make it look a little bit better than it, than it really is? If you condemn those who break commitments, do you ever break commitments? Have you ever flaked out on someone? If you hate careless remarks that hurt others, do you watch your words? Do you ever say, well, I'm just trying to be honest and real here and use that as an excuse to just blast people? To critically, to critically gossip about people? God tells us, look in the mirror. Check your own heart. And when it comes to our relationship with people, if we judge others, that's going to happen to you and to me. Right? Imagine me. Imagine me going around saying to particular people, you are way too fat. You should be ashamed and eat a salad. Right now, I can't hang out with you until you lose some weight. What in the world can I expect in return if I say who am I? Who am I to say that, right? We all do this. We have a blind eye to ourselves. What is it for you? What is it for you? Is anything come to mind? Don't like chuckle and shrug it off. I mean, what? Ask the Holy Spirit. Shh, show me, Lord, how I am being judgmental and give, have a double standard when it comes to myself. Well, here's, here's, here's what I want you to realize. God's kindness leads us to repentance. His grace gives us the freedom to evaluate our hearts and be honest about it. And the good news is that God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us remain as we are. We need to pray that he changes us, that the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done changes us. You know, in the second song that we're going to sing after this message, it says, pity the hypocrites, O Lord. Direct them how to come, teach them to know and fear thy word and bring the strangers home. God still loves hypocrites, thank God. But he loves us too much to let us remain as hypocrites. And Jesus has given us warning. And if we're going to take Jesus' warning seriously, we have to ask, what does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? This is important because there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about this. For example, in our culture, in America, the favorite verse of everybody was John 3.16, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's not America's favorite verse anymore. God's fav America's favorite verse now is judge not lest you be judged. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. 
And people will hear Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged. And, and, and you know, our culture says, yeah, right on, Jesus. That's the problem with Christians. They should, they should never say that other views are wrong. They should never correct anybody ever because that's judging. The problem is this, that if, if we were to say to someone, you should never tell people you're wrong. At that moment, we're telling them that they are wrong. You see how that plays out? When Jesus says, do not judge others, the word for judging here has various meanings. One of the meanings is to evaluate, to discern between right and wrong, to discern between what is good and what is not good, what is good and bad. Like when teachers evaluate their students' essays, they give them an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. Or employees who get assessed by their job performance. So is Jesus speaking against evaluating, you know, someone or something, whether or not it's right or wrong? Is Jesus speaking against that kind of evaluation? No. That can't be. Otherwise, Jesus would be a hypocrite. Jesus himself does this. He constantly evaluates what's right and wrong. And there are other places in the scripture where God's people are called to discern and evaluate. John 7, 24 Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, he's not saying that we should be totally accepting of anything and everything because that would not be loving. People would continue to harm themselves and to harm other people. What Jesus is correcting here is a condemning self-righteous spirit. He is correcting a haughty attitude, an arrogant attitude that looks down on other people. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, he is saying, do not be judgmental. Do not have a critical spirit that condemns people and writes them off. And Jesus is saying, if you are a follower of me, you must never do that. And he takes it seriously. So, let me ask you. And I'm asking myself too. How y'all doing with this one? How'd you, how'd you do last week? How'd you do this morning? How did you use your words towards your spouse, your friend, your kids, your co-workers? people at church, all of those horrible drivers on the 78, <laughs> with your social media posts, throwing grenades in social media has become a favorite sport and it ruins relationships. It's so easy to say thing to things to people online that you would never say to their face. I came across... Um, the story about a grocery store clerk who wrote an advice columnist like Ann Landers or something. 
And this, this person who wrote in, she, she was complaining. She was a grocery store clerk, and she, she was complaining that she had seen people buy luxury food items like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp with their food stamps. And she went on to say that she thought all of those people on welfare who treated themselves to non-necessities were lazy and wasteful. And a few weeks later, the columnist devoted her, her space for her article to the responses that people had that the readers had toward this grocery store clerk. And and one woman wrote this. She said, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it shut down, and the shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner and lasted three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk clerk who criticized that woman would have a different view of life after walking a mile in my shoes. And another woman wrote this. I'm the woman who bought a $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is that the cake was for my little girl's birthday. It will be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone within six to eight months. But here's the deal. Here's my point. It is so easy to judge others from a distance. It's so easy to judge others when we don't even know what they're going through without ever imagining being in their position, in their shoes, and what life must be like. And Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And he says that he's talking about a condemning self-righteous attitude that looks down on other people. Second, second main point here, second question. When we are tempted to judge others, or excuse me, when are we tempted to judge others? Here, Jesus gives us a couple examples of when we are tempted to do this. When we seek to restore people and when we seek to witness to people. Or another way to say it is when we try to correct people and when we try to convert people, we are then, in those situations, tempted to judge others. First, when we try to restore people. Look at verse 3. Remember remember that Jesus was a carpenter. He was a construction worker. And so this, this kind of word picture here makes a little bit more sense. Why do you see the speck? And the word there is used for something like sawdust. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log, or the word there is large plank that is in your own eye, a large plank that was often used uh, in, in roofing for a building? Imagine that thing sticking out of your eye. This is the picture that, that Jesus gives to us. And this teaches us a couple of things. We are so incredibly inclined to discern the sin of others that we are totally blind to our own sin. At best, we're like, I know I'm I'm a sinner, but, and then we proceed to arrogantly criticize, condemn other people. 
You know, several years ago, U.S. News and World Report took a survey, and they learned that the percentage of Americans that think incivility is a serious problem, incivility, like people who are rude to judge others, who are self-righteous, they learned that the percentage of Americans that, that think that incivility is a serious problem was 89%. 89%. The percentage of people who thought that mean-spirited political campaigns were to blame was 73%. The percentage of people who thought music, the content, and secular culture is to blame was 67%. The percentage of people who thought talk radio and bashing others was to blame was 52%. And the percentage of people who thought their own behavior was to blame was 1%. 1%. Why? Because of the plank. That's why. We are so blinded by the plank in our own eye. You know what this means? We can be judgmental towards judgmental people. That's how blind we are. An early church father, Athanasius, said this, that you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. So easy to find the faults in others, but not your own. And the second thing we're to learn about the speck and the plank is that Jesus says we should consider our own problems, our own sin, our own faults much more, as much larger, much more grievous than those of others. When, when you look at something through a pair of binoculars, what does it do to the thing that you're looking at? It, it magnifies it, Right? Makes it larger so you can see it more clearly. That is how we see the faults and sin in other people. But when you take that same pair of binoculars and you flip it around and you look through them, what does that do to what you're looking at? Makes it a lot smaller and further away and maybe not significant at all. That's how we see our own sin and our own faults. We trivialize our own sin and magnify the sin of others. But Jesus says, that's messed up. You're missing the whole gospel point. We Take the plank out of your own eye. We must see our own faults better than we see someone else's. You know, our, our eyes are the most sensitive, fragile parts of our body. Now, if I walked up to Matt Nix, and he wasn't expecting it, and I touched his eyeball, <laughs> uh, not this eyelid, but I touched his eyeball, what do you think he would do? He would like wince and pull away, and like, what are you doing? I'd be like, I just wanted to see what your eyeball felt like, you know, it's <laughs> kind of gross, but Interesting. He would protect himself from that. That's why Jesus uses this, this he brings the eyes into this with his, to talk about how sensitive our, our eyes are. Have, have you ever had a speck or something in your eye that you could not get out? Yeah, most of us have, right? Well, imagine that you got something stuck in your eye again. And someone comes up to you and, and says, let me get that for you. And you're like, really? That would be great. And they show up with a pair of needle-nose pliers. 
and an eye patch. Are you going to let them try to get that speck out of your eyeball? No, you're not. You know why? Because you want someone who will be careful, someone who will be gentle. And Jesus says, that's how we are to restore others. That happens when we first see our own faults and sins to be as serious and as grievous as they really are. Then we will be able to help others with the speck in their eye with great care without rubbing their nose in it, without judgment. So how do you get the plank out of your own eye? Because this imagery suggests that we're blinded. We can't see anything. We think we can't, but we can't. So we need other people to help us out with this. People who will see that we are blind, right? In a humble way, who will want to genuinely help us. People who know the gospel, who Jesus is, and what he's done. That has to happen in community. It cannot happen when you're on your own. We must give permission to others who will lovingly call us out. And and here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus and, and you've cut yourself off from community, it might be, it might be, there might be other issues, but there's a very good chance that you're walking around with a gigantic plank in your eye and you're not seeing things clearly. God has provided gospel community to expose those things. And if you get the gospel, you won't be so defensive and you will invite people to speak into your heart and into your life. You'll value that because it brings healing. But ultimately, we need Jesus to do this because in the gospel, Jesus took our plank And he was crucified by it. God saw how great our sins, how great our sins really were, really are. He sent his son to take the log out of our eye and to heal us. If we get that, it will humble us. If we get that, it'll make us gracious. If we get that, we'll see how God has dealt with us. And that'll definitely affect the way you approach other people. You will have no doubt. You'll have no doubt. Wow, this person who, who's calling me out or who's giving me a truth that I don't want to hear right now, I, I may not agree with them, but, but man, I know that they love me. And they have humility because they actually believe what they're saying is, is true for themselves too. Second way we're tempted to judge others is when we witness to people. We're tempted to judge others in a self-righteous, condemning way when we try to restore people and when we try to witness to people or when we try to correct people or when we try to convert people. I know the words witness and convert have some baggage. And here's the thing. If I were to say, you know what, that's what I don't like about Christianity. You should never, ever seek to convert anybody. Just keep it to yourself. What am I doing? I'm trying to convert you to not convert anybody. You see how that works? The truth is, whatever it is that we truly love, 
we want to share that with others. We want them to find the joy that we have, the peace that we have, the security that we, we have because we love Jesus and we love them. Whatever is at the center of our hearts, we will naturally promote it with joy. So if the center of our hearts is Jesus, then we'll be sharing Jesus. The problem that Christians have had when it comes to talking about Jesus is we've done it so often in a self-righteous, condemning way that lacks love and lacks respect and lacks patience, lacks gentleness, and incredibly, incredibly disrespectful things have been done in the name of witnessing. In verse 6, Jesus gives us another picture that at first reading seems confusing at best and unnecessarily offensive at worst when he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But by the grace of God, all on our own, we are all like beasts who dread God and reject his love and reject his truth and reject his grace because our on our own, we don't understand it. If you take this verse out of context and you miss everything that was said right before it, it's easy to misuse this verse to lift yourself up while you are putting other people down. And I've seen so much of that nonsense. You know, scholars have different takes on, on, on this. Um, even the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary writes with humility about this section, saying that he doesn't fully understand it, but he is absolutely clear about what the attitude of the Christian should not be. And he says that it cannot be arrogant and self-righteous. Given the context and given God's patience with us and grace with us, we are to be patient and humble, not antagonistic. Gospel does not need any help being offensive. And so many Christians who are trying to witness act as if it does. Lloyd Jones and other commentators emphasize here in light of this, this, uh, this passage discernment. And as discerning people, we won't want the precious gospel to be trampled. So if someone is combative toward, toward you and the gospel, even though you are respectful, you may need to move on for the time being. Maybe revisit that later. There are other passages where Jesus said, if people reject you, and he's talking about his disciples that he was sending out, if people reject you and the message, shake the dust off your shoes and move on. The apostle Paul did after he shared the gospel with his own people. They rejected him, and even though he was respectful, they attacked him, so he moved on. Lloyd-Jones makes a point to say that different approaches are needed with different people. You don't just throw truth bombs at people and have a bomb them all and let God sort them out kind of an attitude. In Matthew 13, 45, Jesus gives us another picture that talks about a pearl that pearl of great price is Jesus himself. Jesus 
should not be reduced to nothing more than just a handful of facts and arguments. To many people, they, for many people, they have an attitude that says, you know, here's the gospel, choke on it. Oh, you, you don't want it? Well, at least I did my job because I'm not a coward. At least I know I'm right and you're an idiot. That attitude leads to unnecessary animosity. And Jesus says, don't be surprised if they turn on you. At that point, it's not their fault, it's yours, it's mine. When you share the truth of the gospel, and they're not responding and it's not sinking in, honor the pace of God in their lives. Remember that the gospel didn't make sense to us until God helped us understand it. The Bible says that God is the only one who can open someone's heart. And we know that that's the way it was for us. And so when we push, when we are disrespectful, when we are self-righteously critical, we should expect them to turn on us. And when that happens... Don't be all, woe is me, I'm being persecuted. But at least I'm being bold and courageous for Jesus. God did not call us to be jerks for Jesus. He called us to represent Jesus with the same, with the same love and the same truth and the same grace and the same patience that he had for us. Third and last point. How can we avoid judging others? We must behold the pearl of great value. Again, verse 6 connects us to Matthew 13, 45, where Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's the deal. When we discover Jesus, nothing else, nothing else will compare to having him in our hearts and in our lives. The precious pearl is the key to addressing our problem with judging other people. The only way that we can be a people who speak the truth with genuine love, who, who are not cowardly but are able to confront with genuine love, who are not abrasive but will tell the truth in a way that does not destroy others, the only way that we can see our sin as as being greater than, than others, is when we discover the gospel and we give up everything for it. Like the merchant who sold everything to get it. A Christian is someone who sees the wonder of Jesus and what he's done. And he stops calculating, stops asking, what's in it for me? What do I get? How can I make myself look better? How can I feel better than those other horrible people? Instead, a Christian is blown away by Jesus. Blown away that Jesus views us as his pearl and gave up everything for us. And that's why he went to the cross for us. The cross shows us God's assessment of our sin. 
that it is so great. Jesus had to die. And yet the cross also shows us that Jesus loves us so much he'd rather bear our sin and punishment instead of us. So here's the deal. When you realize that was for you, when you realize that you were on his, his mind when, when he was being crucified, when you realize that's his assessment of, of your sin, but also a, a picture of his love for you, do you realize how humble that will make you? And how much courage that gives you? When we grasp that, it will melt our, our critical attitude towards others. And we won't judge others harshly because God has shown us great mercy. And we'll be able to confront others with grace and truth and love because we are secure in the gospel for his love for us. And that's what ultimately matters, not the approval of other people. And finally, as we share Jesus with others, we're to be humble and winsome. But here's the deal, just so you know. Sometimes we will simply not be able to avoid conflict. No matter how careful we are, no matter how loving we are, no matter how respectful we are in the gospel that we might be, sometimes people will get angry and attack you. A wrong response would be, well, that's enough of the respect approach. <laughs> Guess I'm going to have to go get disrespectful again. No. Jesus knows how I mean, he was perfect, he was loving, he was gentle. He spoke the truth plainly and with great love. And he can relate to genuine persecution. He knew that coming into this world would br to bring the message of grace and healing from brokenness and sin, that we would trample him. He is the most precious pearl. And in one way or another, all of us, <clears throat> in one way or another, all of us have been beasts toward him. John 1.11 says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Many, many years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said of Jesus that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So when you see that he was willingly trampled for you, going to the cross to die for you, that will change you. That will give you humility. That will give you courage. So my encouragement to you this morning is to see what Jesus has done for you how he gave up all to have you. Not because of anything good in us, but because he loved us. And so that you could give up all you have and have him. And when you and I have Jesus, we will then, only then, will we be able to avoid being judgmental and to love people 
with truth and grace. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us grace and for showing us mercy. We thank you for uh, speaking the truth in love and not just in the name of love. God, forgive us for not being gracious towards others or merciful towards others or patient toward, uh, toward others or respectful toward others. For forgetting that, that we ourselves were so sinful that we needed God the Son to die for us to pay for our sin. And yet, you loved us so much, Jesus was willing, more than willing, to die and pay for our sin. So God, I pray that those two truths of the gospel would give us both humility and courage. God, I pray that we would represent you well. that people would see uh, the attitude and actions and truth of Christ in us. God, give us repentant hearts before we ever call other people to repentance. And God, we pray that in our desire to restore and to witness that you would be genuinely, that, that, you, that you would be glorified through all that we do, that we would have a genuine desire to glorify you in that. Forgive us for when we try to glorify ourselves and then we turn our correction and our witnessing into something that pushes people away, unnecessarily, unnecessarily pushes people away. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not put their faith and trust in you, maybe because they were burned by the church or whatever the reason is, God, I pray that you give them eyes to see you, that you are worthy, that you're worth following. God, I pray that you give them faith to trust you as their Savior and as their King. And God, I pray that you continue the work that you began in us and that you'd be faithful to complete it in us. We pray these things in your name.